just arrived to Germ's place and he's already busy at work. Oh, it starts at uh, 9 a.m., my friend. Possibly earlier, it depends what time I get up. You just bought this truck? Yeah. Germ's a millionaire. A millionaire! It's very affordable. Affordable. Nice pun. Hi, welcome to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the show where me, Chris Dyer, will be talking to his creative friends. Very self-descriptive title. Yes. <laughs> uh, in this episode, I am chilling out with one of my best friends, Mr. Germ, Germ D. Uh, he is a long life Montrealer that I've met in the streets. We'll get a little bit into the story of how we met, but he's an amazing artist. He does so many different things. He's a fountain of creativity, both in art and performance and music and etc. So I'm really excited to get to, uh, you know, make him a lot of questions so that you will get to know him a little bit better. So how are you doing, Germ? Pretty good, man. I actually didn't expect you to come to my Ooh. house, you know? Normally when we set up something like this, um, you, I really thought I was coming to your house. And then you're like, oh no, like we're going to come over. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I got to, I woke up this morning, I did some post office stuff and I came home and I waited. Nice. Well, that's- So I'm in my element. Amazing. Well, that's why I that, that, like that's why I wanted my show to make the effort to go into the energy of the other artists because the show's not about me, like and my place and my world. It's about my friends that I love and I want people to n learn more about them and what they do as all mirrors of each other in this like you know hall of mirrors, physical reality yeah. of expression and creation. And what do you think? Like my house is kind of my own unique representation similar to yours. I mean, you're a big inspiration when I go to your house. Well, we're a collector of junk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got museums of the culture that we love. You know? yeah. Oh my God, that plastic is shaped just right. Right, you know, <laughs> toys and video games and music and skateboards and all this pop culture that has inspired us ever since we were a kid. You're a little bit younger than me. You're from, you're how old are you? I was born in 87, so I'm 33 now. Okay, amazing age. But I think we both grew up with um, art being used by corporations to sell products, but that was our introduction to art, was art on skateboards, art on video games, and that was how we found our role in society, was we were that artist, we're that person that makes that look cool, and uh, you know, sometimes it's not that cool, <laughs> but artists make it look cool. Right, and now we're the ones selling junk to people and pieces of plastic and such, so we become the corporations. <laughs> so let, let's start from the beginning. Like, uh, we met at this art show in a theater in Mauland, like, what, late 2000s. Uh, I was finishing up a show, you were starting up a show, and you saw my art, and you, you wanted to hang out with me after that but at the time you were like what like an event promoter a graphic designer a street magician please tell me a little bit about your roots okay so this is this is how we met a drug dealer was doing a show at the rialto to raise money for water for africans i believe something like that using breakdancing okay okay uh the, Obviously, I can't name the person's name. He was a friend of mine, a good guy, a really good guy and great entrepreneur. God bless the drug dealer. Sold, you know, you know how entrepreneurs are. Eventually, they dabble <laughs> in drugs. So he had connected with all these different people and his brother knew of Chris Dyer's art. Chris was one of the people that was there at the show showcasing his art. I came in because I was talking to the owner. The guy who set up the show knew about the Rialto through me because I knew the owner. And I had set up a show at the Rialto. So I'm going in to talk some shit with Ezio, the owner of the Rialto, and Chris Dyer's there. And it's the first time I meet Chris. It's also the first time I see a canvas that has been painted, which looks to me like it's digital art or so fine-tuned, 
and so refined that you're not even sure that it was liquid paint that solidified into acrylic on a canvas and it blew me away. I thought artists were just throwing paint at canvas and I could really see the brush strokes he made and how perfect it was. And he's one of the, you're one of the reasons at that point where I realized that's a form of magic. I was doing street magic, okay? So when you're doing street magic, the magic is only performed with you there doing the trick. Chris's art was always doing the trick even if he wasn't there because the canvas was there and the magic kept propagating. And that blew my mind that someone was doing that and at that level and in my town. So obviously I wanted to know more about him and that's how we got involved with me assisting you. Because at the point I wasn't selling art yet. And I was selling other forms of things like you were saying. I was doing graphic design, doing logos for people, websites for people. But when I saw a website could sell for $2,000. You know what else could sell for $2,000? Cotton stretched on wood canvas. And that's, uh, one is more liberating than the other. One has less of a client hitting you up and saying, hey, do you mind changing this minor thing in pixel 28 by 360? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I saw freedom in your life. And, uh, and I saw how that could potentially propel me into, uh, into a life of more happiness and more abundance. So yeah. I think that's how we met. That's how I vibed with you. And uh, the rest is history, really. I've seen you every year since that, since that point. Right. At the beginning, we hanged out a couple of times. We were out skating. And then eventually you offered to assist me and, and work with me in my studio and, you know, get your momentum till you didn't need that anymore. And now you're full on on the artist path. Do you, do you like uh, living as an artist now compared to the stages you had before? It's incredibly humbling to earn a living and at this point, it's been several years. So like whenever you start a business, always tell yourself, it's going to take nine years. You're going to suffer. I went three years making under $10,000. And that's previously making, I'm not going to say for tax reasons, but enough money <laughs> to survive. And I chopped all of it to become an artist, knowing that I'd be making less than $10,000 a year. And you just got to struggle through it. But the feeling now, knowing that I've earned it through art, not through drugs. I pay all my bills. I own my cars. And uh, I treat my son to a great life and none of it's with drugs. Um, it's one of the best feelings in the world. Yeah, and I, and I encourage, job, and I encourage anyone to, to go on that humble route and, uh, and earn it. Hell yeah. I love these inspiring stories. Like inspiring stories like this is what it wanted me to do this podcast. It's like, I got such beautiful, amazing and you, friends. And you spoke to Danny. Stuff. Danny's story is just as great. He's just like, <laughs> I'm going to jump off the cliff right now because uh, fuck it. I want to be an artist. Ah! Right. And right away his parachute deploys and he's totally safe. Didn't even miss one rent. Right. Didn't even miss one rent. Yeah. No, sometimes you got to take that leap of faith into the world of creativity and let the spirit like allow you to be that uh, creative soul that yeah. you are. Faith is not just a religious thing. It's a business thing. Right. And in business, you better have faith because you're going to need it. <laughs> Right, totally. I think like people who believe themselves so much are the ones that manifest the most for themselves. Sometimes I see uh, clients or people who like almost like believe themselves too much. It's like, whoa, that guy's like throwing down too much. That makes me nervous for him. But sometimes that belief in themselves helps manifest that. Yeah, you know? delusions of grandeur is a double-edged sword because right. <laughs> if you asked anyone, your vision is delusion of grandeur. Right. You're going to paint... And you're going to be flown around the world and be brought to Russia to paint in a museum. You have delusions of grandeur. <laughs> right. Yet that happened. Right. That you happened. literally were invited to multiple places. I just brought Russia as one of them. But check mm. Art Ventures if you haven't. Because in your Art Ventures, it's just that constant story of a, of a man's delusions of grandeur being realized. Right. I know. <laughs> like the world keeps on telling us you can't do it. You can't do it. That sounds too good to be true. And it almost when you manifest it, they almost get mad at you. They're like oh, you manifested all these blessings and I haven't, so fuck you for it. But Other then again, you also find yourself riffing away from that class of people because right. you become less harmonious with them. So you hear them less than you did right. at the beginning. They were your own doubts manifesting themselves. And as you limited your doubts, the, the voices and the noises became less loud. Right. And I think that really what ends up happening is you need to push yourself to another limit and scare yourself and be like, right. okay, well, I need a new delusion of grandeur. That's so yeah. crazy because the world keeps, for some reason, giving it to you. Right. You can manifest anything you want. Well, almost anything. You also got to accept that the universe has parameters and not everything is meant to be. 
I, I believe is if you deserve it. If you honestly believe you deserve it, you will manifest it. If mm -hmm. there's a part of you that thinks that you don't deserve it, I think that you're asking for a bit of trouble because right. you're asking for a lesson. And in the same way, there's those people who might be a little bit like jealous and hater about the success we might uh, create for ourselves. There's also the people who are really happy to be like, oh, wow, uh, Jeremy and Chris are following their heart and they're manifesting uh, a fun life with abundance. Maybe I could do that too. So That's a lot of people get inspired too. And then more people can dive into the pool of uh, a happy life full with uh, essence and meaning. I think that's our role in this life is to tra trailblaze our own trail, but also so that the younger artists could see that, hey, it's possible. Hey, they did it. And uh, I hope that they say, if they can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. I hope they believe that they're even smarter than us, even though when you really tune into it me and chris are are both characters and behind the scenes we're a lot smarter than most people would ever care to believe chris you're an incredible businessman yeah, and when i first you. met you you know your unkept look i thought my god this does this man even wash his hair but let me tell you <laughs> this man does his accounting <laughs> i wash my hair once a week it's not that dirty it smells good enough i think it was a joke to bring up the accounting part you do better you do more accounting than i ever did in my whole life well, it's important at one point you don't want to get in trouble, or I, I don't want at least that. Yeah, you're a great um, role model for a lot of the artists in Mon not just Montreal, but in you know Peru and the world. Thanks, man. That uh, you handled it yourself. You didn't get, I don't really see much handouts that came your way. You really earned it. And now you own your own house. You know, you're definitely adulting <laughs> while keeping the child alive. And that's, I think... Everybody wants that. Everybody, that's their ticket, and then they don't cash it in. Well, but that's their ticket in this life. I know I wanted that. You know, as a as a young person, I remember looking at the adults and being a kid and playing and be like, "Whoa, what happened to the adults? How come they're so like angry and stressed out and worried?" When I grow up, I want to be still a kid, but have the power of an adult, kind of like the movie Big with Tom Hanks, mm -hmm. who I know you love. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like have the power of an adult, but still play as a kid. And I've, I've tried my best to, you know, be a 41-year-old that can still go out and skateboard and have fun with his friends and just enjoy life. Like, You're what? skating more than ever, too. Yeah, yeah. It's so, like you break your board the other day. Yeah. yeah. You <laughs> smash that thing when you come down on it. You're like so aggro with your boards. Well, you ollie and then you're in the air I'm and like, like, that's it now. Ninja. Yeah. I know. Like I, I, I should land on my bolts, but when you're doing a pop shove it, I just. It's not. To, it's not landing on the bolts. It's like you do a pop shove it and you attack that board to land it. You're <laughs> like, there it is now. <laughs> I skate very similar. Yeah, I break yeah. bearings because I'm. Uh, I have that aggressive style on the on the smashdown. Well, I've had that skateboard since last season, and it hadn't broken. And if that board would have gone on to the next season, it would have been a board I had for free season. And something about that doesn't feel right. It's like I gotta break at least one board a season or a year just to feel like I really gave it shit, you know. Mm -hmm. So now I got a new board. I'm going skating tomorrow, and. Uh, it's all good. It's all blessings. It's not like I got a lack of skateboards. Well, it's happy. I'm happy to see that you're out and enjoying the weather and skateboarding, you know, because yeah, sometimes yeah. it feels like you're doing so much office work and tackling a endless mountain of emails right that no. the skateboard just calls your name and you don't answer I, I this summer i did not skate enough but then i was started hanging out with eloise and she's she's a skater so mm. we've been skating once a week and that's been super fun so thanks eloise <laughs> um let's go back to your art please tell me a little bit about your art to me your art seems like it's a mix between pop culture cartoons mixed with politics that you want to teach the world but also with a very bootleg uh you know appropriation of existing cultures with a twist I mean, that's pretty damn good the <laughs> the the fastest way to describe it is it's uh, a pop culture propaganda being used to plant seeds in the in people's minds and come in very vague so that they're not thinking that it's opposing their thoughts and then eventually it grows into the full propaganda that i need it to be uh it's because when i grew up punk is a big thing in montreal uh, DIY, doing it yourself, and really, that has changed over the years, and now punk is not exactly what it was when I was a kid, but to me, punk meant you're doing it yourself, and that goes all the way to artisan making their own beers and liquors. It's still punk if you're doing it yourself, and you're trying to, you're, you're making it your own. When I grew up, cartoons was the first art that I was ever 
privy to the music of Looney Tunes and Walt Disney, along with the images. It's like orchestra and just, if you understand what animation is, it's really a beautiful art. And the reason they're drawn so simply is so that they can move so complexly without taking up too much time in the Indonesian factories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that is, it's a, it's a melding of engineering and art that I really love. And that's why I always was into websites and making logos. It has to do with fine-tuning and alchemizing, really distilling an image down to its fundamental core so it speaks to the subconscious mind and subverts the conscious mind. So uh, logos are a big thing for me. Uh, characters that have been in the, in the conscious mind for a long enough time that they become meme. And, uh, and also the want and desire to make one of those memes. Wanting to make a Snoopy, a Sonic, a Mickey. If you can make one of those characters you have access to a large body of humanity through the subconscious. So that's one of my major goals. And obviously, like, I did bring some materials here. Um, it's kind of like a Trojan horse where the familiar is allowing them to be less close to something they don't understand. Yeah. And then they see, like, oh, well, this familiar thing has a new story to tell me. And also because it's going to be used, whether you like it or not, in the grocery store. You're going to go in and cabbage is going to have Mickey on it. But the thing is, is that... If I and other artists bootleg Mickey, then Mickey has two distinctions. He has a corporate version and he has a cultural version. And you'll be able to tell the difference because a corporation will never change Mickey. They'll use his stock art. So they'll use a 60 to 100 year old picture of Mickey on a cabbage. And you'll be like, whoa, there's something corporate about that Mickey. And you might not buy into him because you have seen other Mickeys rat think the original bootleg. Once you have Ratfink, who's cooler? Mickey or Ratfink? A lot of people will say Ratfink mm -hmm. because he stands for hot rods and customization and punk, the original punk. So um, this is my character that I'm trying to bring forth in the subconscious mm -hmm. using Garfield and Peanut style three-panel comics, mm -hmm. which again is a science. Should, uh, should we show it to the camera? There's so many in there. So it's having to do it over and over again. Consistency builds habit. So... You know, you know Garfield because he was in the newspaper and he was in your life all the fucking time. And that's because Jim Davis drew him all the fucking time. So you have to never give up. What's the name of this bunny? I don't have a name for him yet. <laughs> but that's, that's where faith comes in. I have faith that he will be as big as Garfield and Jim Davis. What about Crummy Bummy? Crummy, crummy Bummy is pretty good. Crummy. Funny, funny Bunny was, one, was a close one. Yeah. So it's funny that you're using the same like... But crummy bunny, uh, bunny, I know, like, he's funny, but it's almost like, it's funny is too clean for you. You need to be kind of like, you know, grimy and, you know. But maybe that's not his uh, existence. Right. Maybe he has an existence that's uh, away from my personality. Yeah. And yeah. that's what makes him big. Yeah. Uh, so and, and approachable to normal people. Yeah. So in the sense that it's a science, making this happen, a book full of a character and the character becoming oh my god i might even have him no i have a 1978 garfield plushie very close but i'm not gonna get up to get it it becomes plushies it becomes toys it becomes all kinds of things but only when you believe and you have faith in delusions of grandeur right <laughs> well that's good for you like keep on keep on trucking and reaching as high as you want man that's that's a beautiful thing right um it's a so big garfield's a big thing your art <laughs> seems like it can't be separated from the story like a, a big way you sell your art is through the stories that you share in your instagram stories and people follow the you know the mind patterns of germ and whatever he's picking on this week and then an art piece comes from it to kind of express the uh mental conversation you're having with yourself and with your viewers tell me the relationship between storytelling and art uh the relationship i would argue them. that all good art is sold via a story and look there's the exception of the guy who just threw some things on a canvas it's literally abstract and means nothing but what is he gonna do he's gonna invent some story about it and then he'll sell even though he's probably lying and he just threw paint at the thing and he likes the color combo and he doesn't want to say that but real artists sell a story uh, Salvador Dali, did he not have a crazy story? He's, yeah. He just invented a personality and then lived that life. Uh, Pablo Picasso just embodied artist, being an artist, always being creative, and that was part of his story. You wanted 
the artist, the Pablo Picasso. And then there's your story too, where it's like you're traveling in India, you see a lot of Ganesha, you want to paint a Ganesha. Krishna was there too, he waited a bit, and then Krishna came out. Uh, Shiva. Shiva, sorry. <laughs> but you know what I mean in the sense that like, that was an obvious story for anyone uh, watching you, that these were uh, percolating in your subconscious and eventually like you couldn't take it anymore and you had to bring it and manifest it. Right. Art and, is an expression of the life that we live. And uh, I think you wanted to embody some of those um, deities in your life. And that's why you painted it. Some things may go unsaid with you. I think that goes unsaid that you wanted to manifest the power of that deity. And that's why you gave him so much time and focus and energy. Because energy goes where your attention goes. So the more attention you put into things the more it becomes a reality. And I only show that because it's a metaphor for whoever's listening. You have something similar to that. I make paintings to sell art. That's not my delusion of grandeur. My delusion of grandeur is to create a character that's worth over a billion dollars, let's say. Mm -hmm. Make a Garfield. Right. And maybe you have something like that. And uh, my point is that attention is where energy flows. Right. Well, I would say like my uh, main character, if I created a character, would be the galactic dude. I Definitely. Just, I just haven't had given him any uh, storyline or plot. I just paint him a lot. We made, we made the toy. Uh, I, I paint him a lot, but I've never really had a, like a storyline where he's doing uh, things like your, your crummy bunny there is doing. Mm -hmm. I, I'm making sure that's his new official name. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah like but the galactic dude we, has we, a we story we want to create culture too is what I'm saying he has a story to me he represents like uh, someone that has reached a form of enlightenment and is traveling around the world spreading that enlightenment so it's technically you in a, com in a comic book form it's a cartoon of me yeah yeah so it's like now how does that it already has a story and it's already building but it's just where does he go and then how does the avenues reach that highway or whatever and uh, that's up to you to, for you to decide. But you have so many things. You have the fish bomb too. That's also like your uh, homage to graffiti and street art. And even though I'm we both nature, <laughs> and we both share this in the sense that we both participate in graffiti and street art. And graffiti would might might not want us to say that the generalized view of people who follow the rules while not following the rules of graffiti. And if it's not letters, it's not appropriate. And I think you've always done graffiti since your street gang days. And it's just graffiti. It is what it is, but it's your form. And that allowed me to make my form. And I think that that's what we got to continue to show the kids is that you don't necessarily have to do letters. The fish bomb is so awesome for that. Yeah, the fish bomb. It's, it's kinda, like it, letters. It's kind of like a word, but, yeah. you know, and there's some words that you don't even see the letters anymore. It's just like a bunch of swiggle. So it's very much the essence of graffiti. It's right. the same thing over and over with changes and different colors in different places. Right. Meant it, for signaling to other people. And graffiti is made to break boxes. The way why it doesn't even look like a word anymore is because they're trying to break all structures. So why does graffiti have to have certain structures where they say, oh this is graffiti but this is not allowed anymore I believe it's because it's a male dominated sports and males like hierarchy or some form of structure so that they can know where they are on the ladder and that's usually a beta who wants to know that because an alpha doesn't give a fuck because he's just going to reach the top no matter what you say and he's not going to care about some sort of rule or whatever so I think it's just the overall mass of humans that like oh I need to know where I am in this culture and there needs to be rules and structure right you well, know, one where you're literally going and spray painting on someone's house. Like, there, there's no rules. Yeah, yeah. You're literally defacing society. Yeah, it's such a weird culture of like, oh, we're here to break the rules, but don't you dare do it legally. And, uh, you know. And this rule and this and rule and this rule. rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it's, it's such a juxtaposition of uh, contradictions. Um, while we're talking about uh, graffiti and street art, uh, you also do murals, you also do street art. Uh, you know, tell me about your approach to it. You do it a lot illegally. It's almost like you hang out with a lot of graffiti dudes, yet what you do is kind of street art, but you, you, you do it mostly illegally, right? Yep. Yeah, I really bomb. admire... Uh, the graffiti world, in my view, has two subgenres. There's people who are kind of like uh, destructive in nature and, uh, and therefore their actions and stuff are uh, self-destructive. Let's put it that way. A lot of drug use and a lot of like just rumoring and, and, and stupid shit. Yeah, the dark side of a human. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the other ones who are uh, the brotherhood and it's cooperative and they want to see each other win. There might be a little bit of competition. It might, 
But overall, it's about uh, building a community. And that's, I'm huge on that. So there's a community in the graph world. I want to be a part of it. And I just want to be a cog in that wheel. So that's why I hang out with them. And plus, they're, they're, they're artists. They're mm. the 21st century artists. They care mm. about music. and They're pure essence, in a way. They, like, when you're going out to bomb just for the sake of doing art, not getting paid, and maybe not getting recognition from most people in society, that's the most pure form of art expression. And guess, some right? of them, it's really like to show my funky new style. And they're going to show a funky new style illegally on the street. It's really not necessarily about destruction. It's about that guy, that cat was there and he did that. And it's so fucking cool the way he did it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's about that in my essence. I love that. Um, how I got involved was, um, I kept seeing, I have graffiti in my life since I was a teenager, but I never got into much of the spray painting of it. You know, writing your name here and there. Trying to find a name was hard for me. I always wanted to draw things. And eventually, I came up with the strategy of, I don't fucking care. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And if people want to judge me for whatever reason, they can. But I want to do what I want. And that's the vibe of going to that spot, doing that thing, and having another person come and saying, who the hell did that? And why did Mm -hmm. they do that? Totally. And having them think outside of a box. So that's how I got involved now. I'm a different type of artist. I'll knock on your... There's been everything, dude. I've done absolutely everything. I've spray painted people's garages, shown up the next day, and been like, someone did graffiti on your garage. Let me fix that. Mm. And it's me. Mm. Okay, so I've done that to the point of... You could also just go and be like, hey, I want to paint on your thing. They'll say, yeah, and you could do it. Or you start painting on it. They come out and they say, hey, you're painting on that. And you go, yeah, I'll cover it up if you don't like it. And they let you paint on it. There's a whole bunch of ways to do it. Uh, Once me and Deep got caught painting on St. Joseph on Virgin Brick, cops came. We told the cops it was a mural. They left. The owner came, super upset because the cops left. And the cops had our information. So the guy wanted to prosecute us for going on his Virgin Brick. Mm. don't recommend you go on virgin brick it's mm-hmm. not the best because you can't paint over it so i come back the next day after the guy cools down and i tell him look i know a guy that'll that'll clean this guy who pressure washes it and if i pay him 200 bucks he'll come and pressure wash it if i pay the guy 200 bucks will you drop all charges on us and he did mm-hmm. so there's all these different ways to go about it you just have to be proactive just and reason be- with people and believe in yourself just because it's graffiti doesn't necessarily mean that it won't be accepted Mm-hmm. there's people painting all kinds in the city some people even get paid i know people get like four thousand dollars to do graffiti with letters mm-hmm. on someone's wall it's a matter of the the balls you have and how many doors you're willing to knock on right um so i wanted to talk now go back to your brand or your brands because it seems to me like your your brand if created from your art seems to change all the time like it's had so many names like you've had cream you've had good you had mood you had Sears, uh, which is all good and so creative, but for me, it's so confusive how your brand never stays one thing, it keeps on changing. Uh, mm-hmm. How come that approach? And tell me more about your branding and, and the stuff that you do. Because when I did websites and graphics for people, I had my whole 20s where I just made logos and launches for companies. So the whole marketing, like the logo, the tagline, the whole idea of the brand. So I can't shake that from me. Whenever I have an idea, it's always coming in this full package where it looks like there's logos and stuff. So people think that they see cream and they think like I'm running forever on cream and I will. I mean, I'll always put cream in the back of a painting. It's some things will always be in the back of a painting somewhere, but uh, the real brand is good because my initials are GD. So, mm-hmm. you know, in paintings, a lot of the time you'll see a good and mm-hmm. it's just a G and a D with my with a, just a smiley face. Right. And it shows a nice intention to what you want to see in the world. Yeah. So this is like a signature for paintings. It takes uh, time to build that. Um, what is that called? When you keep putting like the signature on something over and over and then it has like a, a talisman power in art. Uh, I know there's a word for Adam it. Adam uses it all the yeah, time. Yeah, flight or... I don't know. But Adam uses it where he'll always write Nexus and stuff like that. And that gives the power uh, of belief to the to the owner that that this person cares. It's like Shepard is... Perry's Obey. Yeah. You've done it so many times that it becomes an entity of its own. And that's... Uh, I agree that I do so many brands that there's a little bit of dilution. And that's why I really now try and make these canvases where good is part of it a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. 
and and make it really apparent. Nice. But it, they'll always be, they'll, every time, dude, any of my graphics, like, look, I'm doing this Kool-Aid guy on the car. The Kool-Aid guy in flames is technically so good, it could be a graphic. Right. It could be its own business and brand, but I can't have everything be a brand. Right. So you bought your own silkscreen boxes. Uh, how was that? So instead of going to a place where they have silk screening for you, you just bought your own boxes and you put the, like what, the wax and you do the... I do the really old school technique of, of doing a screen and then painting glue on it. Mm -hmm. Painting the inverse of the glue and then pulling the screen myself. Mm-hmm. So these Which are, saves you so much money and you can make more profits because you don't have to pay this third party to do it for you. This would potentially be, and like, let's see how I got this. It's a Gildan. So I paid, I paid, it's a new Gildan, maybe eight to nine dollars for the long sleeve sweatshirt. If you had someone make this for you, I'm pretty sure they would get close to 20 bucks and you'd have to buy $500 more right. worth of the product. So you'd be sitting on boxes of this stuff. You wouldn't be able to make it on demand. Yeah, you can just make one or two or whatever you want. I don't sell sweatshirts because I look. I live in boxes. I can't have boxes of sweatshirts. So this is mine. Mm -hmm. But uh, t-shirts, yeah, I really love uh, water-based. People tell me my shirts are some of the most Iron Man shirts they've ever seen. They put it through so many wash cycles and it won't break. And that's because I'm using the older technologies that are tried and true water-based inks dye the fabric but if you do a commercial run they could clog in the in the layers so like let's say they're doing four layers the water base will clog ruining the layers and they won't be able to do a run of 50 shirts so they use plastisol something that will never dry it unless you put it through a heat of 280 degrees now what happens is if you don't run it exactly at 280 degrees the product will deteriorate and most of the time it'll crack even at 280 degrees. So it's more of a uh, large production run that we're seeing now in society and a lot of people have dropped the water-based inks. So Which is probably better for the environment too, right? I, I have it on my hands. I, walk, I put it down the sink. Mm -hmm. Everything's eco-friendly here and, uh, and then hopefully it's eco-friendly on your body too. I'm getting into sewing and stuff like that. But this is, I mean, I have so many paints. And then also you use these... Uh... They're all inside of a chest right here in front of us, in mm -hmm. front of the camera. They're full of paints. You can keep taking them out. He use uses the this to like, you know... And, uh, you know, this is not that expensive. This is maybe like $30. This will last you so many shirts. A shirt might even sell for $30. Once you have these kind of products and you build up your inventory, you're running the business like any other. And if you're in the business of selling shirts, if you're going to make art that really goes well on shirts, you should definitely think about making your own shirts. That doesn't mean that not everything can be a t-shirt, right? This has multiple colors. It got DTG, it got direct-to-garment printing. It's expensive and you don't necessarily want to go that route. But if you can come up with your own designs, one color, two colors, definitely invest in doing it yourself. And then you, you do these silk screens on your canvases too. And Yeah, so and here's a do it later. I showed you the sweater. Here it's in uh, glow-in-the-dark mm. on a black piece of paper print. So the print can be sold. But really that was made for a t-shirt. And now it's being sold as art. And now it's pasted in the back of a big canvas and sold as art again. And going back to your brand, not only have you done silk screens, but you've also gotten into embroidery. Not, you started by ordering embroidery from uh, different manufacturers, but then you yeah. bought your own machine, right? Yeah, so the... Um, the embroidery was done and outsourced on big Japanese uh, machines. They're like $30,000 machines. They'll do seven color, eight colors. And that's when you start testing. This is one that's done at my house. Good. One color. One color is a lot faster. And in, a lot of times when it comes to making art into the manufactured route, you definitely want to engineer. You definitely want to not just be an artist mind, but start becoming an engineer type mind and thinking... What's the streamline way? How can I simplify it and make it so that the production happens faster? You can definitely have your eight color and show how amazing, like that's an, that's, if you know anybody that knows embroidery, eight color, that tight, that small, unreal. Mm -hmm. But to do it at home, I'm going to sit there. That probably takes over an hour right, to do on a machine, 45 minutes maybe. So what, you're going to charge a guy for a hat when it takes you 45 minutes. This takes four minutes. Do the math. Stop being such an artist. Do the math. Uh -huh. Here's an outline. 
So no fill, just the outline, way faster, possibly three minutes takes up more space. This is just the engineering process of, uh, of turning your art into products. I have an embroidery machine, but once it started working for me, I doubled down. I bought more machines. They're not even out of their boxes. It's just that I know sewing machines are worth X amount of money. Fuck yeah. it. You invested, and I'm, in, I'm invest, into this. You invested into your brand and your and your situation. Yeah. So that's like a, the fashion part of the studio. Embroidery machines, sewing machines, silk screening. And that will always be part of my life because it's always been part of my life because of the punk DIY scene. Right. And then you also started doing toys at one point for your brand based on your character. So Let you bought some. yourself a 3D machine, right? Like a 3D printing machine. Well, it's really cool that you brought up the 3D printer because uh, that's something that I invested in and now is in a closet and I do not invest in it any further because I tried it. It's not that fun. <laughs> Even though it makes incredibly fun things, uh, the, it's just not for me. And there's nothing wrong with that in your life. If you, wanna, you think you want to try something, try it out. If it's not for you, drop it immediately because the more that you put time into it, the more it's going to become a thing and the more of a nightmare it's going to be for you if it's not for you. <laughs> so... Making toys is awesome. Um, a big engineer, engineering goes behind this. You know, these are in parts so that there's no, it's just incredibly time consuming. Let's put it that way to make a product that nobody wants to pay a lot of money for because they think toys are cheap. Right. Cotton stretch on canvas, thousands of dollars. Toy that literally takes an engineering mind to create. Yeah. They don't want to pay a hundred bucks. Yeah. Because of Indonesian slave farms making toys for them, they think it's they think it's worthless. Here's Bart as uh, Kermit, missing legs at the moment because it's all in pieces. You know. Right. So your brand keeps on uh, mutating and growing and developing. What's what's in the future for you uh, with your with your brand? And what's the official name of your brand right now? Good, you said, right? Well, it's Germ D. I mean, it's yeah. my name. Uh, if anything, you're the one who really pushed that for me, which was. If you're going to be an artist, use your, use your name. Use your name and get people to remember your name because that's how you're going to sell art. Yeah, mm. me. You know, so it's like uh, good is it plays on that in the sense that Germ D is my name. Uh, my name being Jeremy and Germ being what people called me as a nickname. The future for me is honestly, I think I'm just on that, that's, that path of just entertaining and showing people that, um, you know, that art is a thing, that people are creative. And it's, it's fun and it's exciting and it looks like this in this form and vessel. Right. And we, we look all messy, like just a couple of like, you know, messy artists, but you're doing quite well, right? You just, you know, like I just saw you bought a brand new truck out there and you just bought yourself a little piano and you're constantly reinvesting into yourself and your life. So like the business of your art must be doing really well these days, huh? I've always been good with money and that's one of the main things that, anyone who's going to be an entrepreneur really needs to get a handle on before they start making money is spending money. And why would you spend it on something versus another thing? Uh, recently in Canada, a lot of people got that CERB check. And I was shocked to learn that a lot of people had spent the $14,000 and have nothing to show for it. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make any sense at all financially because you had a chance $14,000, you had a chance to start a small business. Right. But hopefully, you invested in one thing. Just give, tell me one thing, please, where it held its value or held uh, potentially half its value. So let's say you bought something, uh, the piano that I just got. Pianos, musicians will always pay hundreds of dollars for devices that make noise. It's literally inevitable that they'll give me $500 at any point in time for this piano. Um, other things are like that too. Uh, certain skateboards, old school collector skateboards and stuff like that. As the economy goes down, certain collectibles lose value. But, I, I mean, if you bought drugs, you fucked up. That's mm -hmm. basically what I'm do saying here. You know what I mean? There was a big depression and people were confused about where life was going and what their future meant. And a lot of people drowned that in, in drugs. Right. And let's, they're let's... in a worse situation now than they were before. For, for our American uh, viewers who don't know what CERB is, uh, here in Canada, uh, since the beginning of COVID, CERB is basically $2,000 that will give pretty much anybody who's struggling 
And it's very easy to claim. Like two thousand dollars a month. A month. Yeah. A month. So they gave fourteen thousand dollars in total, and they're still planning on doing it going forward. We're October right now. They've been doing it since uh, April. So yep. I, I know my friend Barry. He started his own uh, BMX business where he's buying old BMXs, fixing it, selling it for double, and now he's got lots he of BMXs. He already had that business. But this gives them the leapfrog to now like, okay, now go get that Dutch Rage, uh, that Raider frame that you know where it is and the guy just wants $400. Just go give it to him mm -hmm. and then sell it for a G. Yeah. So now it's giving him that leeway and that freedom to really take his business and take it to another level. And uh, that's why I have that embroider these embroidery machines and stuff like that and why I didn't buy a 3D printer. Right. Because I tried it. It wasn't for me. I'm not going to put more money and continue this nightmare. I really like embroidery. I really like fashion. Fine. Right. And then I used to do a lot of music back in the day. So now I'm setting up a music studio with, uh, with some, of my, some of my money. And um, not only does that preserve, like I think, instruments preserve uh, the wealth. So when you buy an instrument, it might hold its value. But also as an artist, music is a form of advertisement. The more that I can make music and entertain people, the more reason they have to come and see the art, which is the thing that sells. I'm not trying to sell music. I'm trying to use music as a form of advertisement, which is also why Chris is doing this uh, video series. It's not that this video series is going to make YouTube ad money. It's no. just not. I'm, I'm losing a lot of money with this. He's show. losing <laughs> money in hopes that he maybe, you know, releases another coloring book, releases a next shirt, and this is the uh, consistency factor that kept your habit into looking for Chris Dyer's art and entertainment that when not that he, not that he's pushing a product it's just when a product comes out there's people there to see it yeah and well, that's what this entertainment is this particular show I kind of like fought it because the idea kept on coming in my head like because a lot of people were interviewing me and and I was like well I could interview my friends and the idea kept on coming in my f head but I'm like okay you got to spend like thousands of dollars for equipment you got to pay your editor per show etc and you got to lose like half your week, like going and doing it and looking over edits. Like I know it takes a lot of time and effort from doing the adventure series, mm -hmm. but, and I try to deflect it and not doing it, but the inspiration kept on coming. It's like, Hey Chris, it's not about you or your money or your time. It's about keep on spreading positive culture in the world that's surrounded by the negative culture and code and messages. And there's these beautiful people out there with great messages and inspiration and businesses and etc. that they don't get to shine as much because the media is not uh, sharing about them. So then I feel the responsibility to be that media, you know, with whatever followers I've amassed, I will share my friends and culture along it so that we can all rise together as a positive humanity that's healed and healthy and positive. So. <laughs> Have you ever seen the documentary Beautiful Losers? Yeah, totally. So I found that on YouTube one day, and I was so thankful that Ed Templeton had done that. Mm -hmm. They had taken the time to do this documentary called Beautiful Losers, where they documented the time that they had spent in New York with other artists and the community there that had formed 10 years ago. Like, they're mm -hmm. talking about the past and how... And it was so cool Before because... Before they all blew up. Yeah. You can't go back there and be part of it. That's the documentary, right? You have to be there. If you weren't there, you weren't part of it. And this is what I feel like some of this stuff is all about. It's just time is passing and it's fleeting. We're living in such an interesting time that, you know, respect to those that are documenting it because they're the ones that are really going to reap the benefits come come the future you know when... right we're still young and we're still really building like i feel like i'm just starting in a, in a way of speaking you know i've done a lot and the same with you like we're, we're just kind of like starting because we're only living the now right now is the first moment of our lives and the older artists that i that we know of and we communicate with they have a little bit of documentation that was good for them when they were our age but not nearly as much as we have mm -hmm. like ron english has some documentation of when he was young but to the point where what the youth has now, they, you already have a documentary, you already have a book. Are you smoking weed these days? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you stop, sometimes you're in it. Well, I've, I, last year around this time, I stopped for like six months, mm -hmm. which had been the first time I had stopped in forever. Like over a decade smoking every single day. Why did you stop at the time? This gut feeling that I had that like, that it just, there's nothing about it that was appealing. So it was just easy to stop. And I went to Humboldt County, California, where they're growing weed during that time. And I still didn't smoke. Smoked once. 
Uh, I still didn't smoke. Um, so there was just something about it that wasn't, that wasn't hitting me right. And I think that I got whatever the coronavirus or whatever the fuck it's supposed to be. I think I got it when I was in California or San Fran area. Because when I came back, I had this cough and I never get sick. And I had this little cough and I was like, thank God I'm not smoking right now. Because I have this little cough and if I smoke it, it only get your cough only gets worse when you're smoking. Mm. And if you know any smokers, they'll wake up with a fever and still light a smoke. Right. And they're just, they're deplorable. <laughs> and I'm one of them. So now I'm smoking again. Not that much. Uh, like even last night I rolled one joint. I kept putting it out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I might be on the out and out again. What about mushrooms? You, you do mushrooms like every now and then? Yeah, but um, like honestly, not even, not even getting high anymore like really? i feel like there's dude i fasted for seven days last week okay mm-hmm. i did not eat for seven days normally when i fast why uh just spiritual reasons i got banned on, on instagram they ruined my whole business uh overnight i couldn't reach anyone like i had thousands of people watching my stories and then the next day couldn't even reach a hundred people it was pathetic like 43 people in 24 mm-hmm. hours are, are watching a story eventually people realized and they they, they start, start searching me and then I lost huge amounts, okay? Because that's just the way it is. You're going to lose huge amounts. But, but like, so, such blessings that people care that I'm still selling art. Like, I, I can't say for tax reasons, but I'm... It, it scared you, probably. It, it made me have to reassess. And fasting is a way that I reassess. So cut communication with whatever the hell is in this world, the 3D shit, and really reconnect with God and ask, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? And only through a fast can I get that real connection. But for some reason, this time, normally after four days of fasting, you get really amplified. Your digestive system stops. The blood doesn't go to the digestive system and it's used in the brain and other parts of the body. So you really feel like you're tapped in. Never happened. Seven days, never happened. I felt the exact same all seven days. And when I stopped, I felt a little bit better, only because the body was getting its nutrients in mass. And the same thing has been happening with mush. I take mush and I cannot get high. Mm. So I'm wondering if throughout the course of these last decade or so, despite smoking weed, I've cleaned my body enough. I only eat whole foods. I never eat. I've only gone to a grocery store once in October and it was to get a millet. Because I like millet millet cereal. But I don't eat uh, processed stuff. And I think that that has cleaned my body enough to the point where I feel at such a high voltage that mushrooms, fasting, and all these things are not profound. There's nothing left to do. So now, what's my goal moving forward? It's just to be me, accept life for what it is, and uh, be happy, be healthy, love my friends, be a positive example. And everyone else is going to choose. I've already made my choice. Right. I've made my choice in in the future and it's up to other people to, and I accept no matter what I accept, even if that means I get uh, thrown in an internment camp, you know, and killed. Let's not imagine that. No, but let's just say that you bring it to the absolute worst. I've accepted it. It's Mm -hmm. okay. If Mm -hmm. that's what they've decided. Full surrender. Full surrender. That's Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll die laughing. I won't care. So you, you also got some interesting uh, diets because I know you went uh, full on into the keto and then uh, at the beginning of the, this year you were vegan. Where are you at right now with your diet? Uh, I do like consuming a small amount of carbs. I really enjoy spelt flour. I think it's just unbelievable as a product. It binds to itself without uh, eggs, you know, which is very rare for most um Farines, most flowers, they, they won't bind like a spelt does. So I really like spelt. I believe that you just need a balance. Carbs are great. Uh, fats are amazing. And whatever, protein. Whatever so you're the not keto comes. anymore because keto is not very much anti-carbs, I think? Yes, keto would not have any carbs. I was keto probably before the fast. Leading up to the fast, I was totally keto for over a couple months, which was like not a lot of carbs. I was just not eating bread. Zero sugars. Never. Right. Now I'll have maple syrup again. Now I'll have spelt again. Because um, it's just unhealthy to abstain from anything. Right. Abstaining from absolutely anything. The monk that's on the top of the hill, abstaining from life, he sucks, bro. You're here for a reason. Right. Why are you like, 
I denounce this life and I'm going to go wait to die. It's like, well, why were you born at all? Yeah, you're going to have great dreams. You're going to have the most fantastic out-of-body dreams. You're going to experience all kinds of things, but why not? Just live the physical plane that God created for himself to enjoy. Yeah, and have fun in both of those realms. So I think food is a really important thing in that regard. We will always make food. We will always share food. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my personal belief after all these years is that food is a weapon. And we are under... There's a war going on. There's just no two ways around it in my mind. And food has always been used as a weapon. And it's our responsibility to understand what food is. And if we want, heal ourselves. And if not, whatever, enjoy the ride. Yeah, it's your choice. You can have the things in boxes. Yeah. But just know that, like, from my experience, most of the people who eat things in boxes are always hungry and then always eating more things in boxes. And it's an inevitable cycle of them making money because they're not really feeding you. So you're just hungry and spending money and spending money and spending money until you get sick and then you're on a pill regimen that does the same thing. So I think that humans don't even need to eat that much. I eat once a day, uh, sometimes twice for entertainment. <laughs> That's the only reason why I eat. Yeah, <laughs> I and you've been cooking a lot more recently. I've been seeing the chef Chris post. So uh, like, you know, well, I live alone now, so I had to kind of like get into it, and it's been good. You know, like I just got to make the time for it. But uh, yeah, I've been enjoying it more and more. I think I got inspired from living with my parents so much at the beginning of the year when I got trapped in Peru. And my dad and my mom, they're always looking at cooking shows. And it's like their art in a way. It is, so, yeah. so I was like, well, I could put some extra ingredients on my, on my frozen pizza. And maybe I can make a little bit more of an effort. And now I'm enjoying it. You know, mm. it's, uh, it's cool. Um, it's a but, form of experimentation and uh, chemistry. Right. But, so, but you're not vegan anymore? or I've been eating eggs from the farm since Those August. are free range. August. Yes, yeah, so the, the chicken. We don't kill the chickens. Right. And uh, I see the chickens. I pet the chickens. I feel that there's no real... Other than the fact that these chickens are in essentially caged for their own safety. Right? We have to put them inside of a cage at night or else the foxes will tear them to shreds. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing that's not natural about this. They yeah. should be being turned to shreds by foxes. Mm-hmm. By and way, that's, can you that's what another... some vegans would not like, right? By that the you're way, caging them. Can you give me another cart of eggs from the farm, by the way? Cause... I'd have to bring it to your house because right now i got like three eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, like but totally, you, yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And you made jams recently too? I will definitely give you jam. Yeah, they gave it to me after, after the show. After, <laughs> you're we're so wired in, we're wired in. <laughs> But yeah, I definitely have apple butter. So this is one of the reasons why I'm not going to the grocery stores a lot is I make my own food. Chickens make... This is why one of the reasons I, I, I'm not vegan and I don't really advocate to... If you're vegan, if you want to be. But because I don't want to be vegan because eggs are so abundant and they make so many things in the chemistry of food that you'd be out of your mind to not use these things yeah i'm not vegan because i love eggs on my saturday brunch it's and just the, kind of my happiness but the it? more you get connected to an actual fresh egg uh the more you'll be connected to an apple off a tree and all these fresh direct to your mouth foods because most of the grocery store eggs are a month old mm-hmm. the amount of washing and processing and then backlogging right they still have to sell you the eggs that they have mm-hmm. so they the fresh egg gets thrown in the back of that process and you do end up eating an egg that has lost its life force. Not everything in a food is the nutrients that you could distill and make a salt with. There's a life force in all matter, and it distinguishes after a certain amount of time on a shelf. Nice, man. Well, I'm happy that you take such good care of yourself and that you're always growing healthier and healthier. Um, we're, We're reaching the end of our show soon, but I wanted to ask you, you know, you were just telling me that you got shadow banned by Instagram. Um, and it was because maybe you were sharing a lot of your political views. Uh, that or sharing uh, memes that they had flagged, right? Because those are the only times where they were like, mm-hmm. false information. I had posted things on stories that got that false information thing. Right. And that's because you're sharing an image that their bot had. He knows what recognized. the image looks like. He recognized the image. Yeah. So that might be... The cause of my shadow ban and not direct transcript AI of my voice. Right. Because that would be another level entirely. Right. Which could happen too, but there's I don't know because remember the the JP guy, the the ginger who does jokes from California? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uses a lot of satire 
Right. So if they were tracking him with a bot, I don't even know if they'd be able to read through the satire and and sarcasm. The sarcasm of what he's saying. Because he, yesterday he put a video where he was talking the mainstream story, but in a very conspiracy way, like, oh yeah, the government really loves us. And and like all these things actually sound crazy because like... It's the tonality that he threw on the statement and he could have said it in the other way. And And I'm wondering, does the... He doesn't. He's not shadow banned yet. No. So is that a perfect technique of satire and comedy? Maybe. maybe. Pot, and he he won't share. He doesn't necessarily share like other people's memes. Contents. Yeah, memes. Right. So that was a mistake on my part, sharing memes. Because you're just allowing them through the door. You're just giving them a chance. It's basically you're telling the robots, are like, oh yeah, we're against your system of control, and, and trying to go at you with facts and stats because that's what you come at us with. When realistically, like I was in a a little catuffled this morning with this guy and they this guy clearly wanted me to uh, state facts state facts and really there there is no facts to to state because the best argument is speculative the best argument is if you if you just see what they're doing it's quite obvious that they're doing this and then i don't need to show you a fact i'm just saying that this is my personal opinion take it or leave it and if it does happen i get vindicated yeah. and i think that's been my strategy going uh, since the beginning was that I I have a farm and I have all these things because I've been preparing for this exact moment for over 10 years. So when the moment actually hits, not only am I shocked that it's actually happening, but I have to come up with a strategy that's not going to uh, scare people. Yeah, I have to be very nuanced about it. It's good to have your plan Bs. I'm happy I got my farm in Peru and I want to keep on building alternatives to mm-hmm. what could possibly happen. But I, more and more, I think the negative future is not going to happen. Are you optimistic about the future? Well, this like, is the do, scenario. Do, do, All do, I can say is this is the scenario that we're living in. People want to be more organic, live healthy, do yoga, possibly go to Rachel Berry and get some bio food and pay extra. And they were going to pay extra and they were going to do it with a smile. And that wasn't working too good for the people who want to have a digital currency that's linked with no borders and that they control the world with their new world order. It really wasn't helping the way the world was going. And I think they tried to do a little bit of a rush because if they let it go any further, it's not going to happen, bro. If you let the world wake up any more than they already did from 2000 to now, it's not going to happen. So I think they... They're trying to really put the block like, okay, here's this virus, nobody move. From now on, yeah. we're in control. The and, floor is lava. And if you don't allow yourself to be controlled, you're a jerk and you don't care about your... They went all in. Yeah. They went all in, but unfortunately for them, the more that they push, the more obvious it becomes. So they're in a really tight space right now. I think the truth is going to come up like soonish and the negativity that's been trying to control humanity will become so obvious that the liberation will become even quicker. Yeah, it's just a matter of like the next play, which is going to be look, lockdowns, nobody wants to do a lockdown. Even the World Health Organization is saying that but we don't even want to be blamed for the lockdown. So <laughs> no lockdowns. Back, they're backtracking. Yeah, no now, lockdowns, huh? please. Like... So now they will have to introduce that without the lockdown, they will need track and surveillance apps and full surveillance of your life 24-7, which is exactly what the conspiracy theorists told you from day one. Once that, once that vector hits, which is them saying what the conspiracy theorists said, then you've reached a point of conflict. And it'll be interesting just to see how the world plays that tangent. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we'll know. We'll know if they're going to succeed or if they won't. Yeah. Because if people are so scared they need to be on the winning team, even though it's not a winning team, then... That's the thing. Then we it, need to reassess. Everybody is taking teams. It's not like a us against them. For me, it's not like, oh, I want to be right and, uh, and you'll be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the government actually wants to take care of us. But you just look at the numbers of what the virus has done and what how it's declining. And then they're putting us in a red zone. Like right now, what we're doing is illegal. We're not allowed to be together. It'll be yeah. illegal as of October 1st. But this was filmed before October 1st if the lawyer's watching. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jerem, for saving my show. Um, but yeah, like it's just uh, the statistics are not making sense to me. Uh, when I looked at how many cases there was in Montreal in the month of September, it was 150 cases in a city of two million 
that's a second wave. That's a well, this is a that's this, a red zone. Something really fishy, and, well, and we gotta kind of like uh, look at it. You know, this is a form of gaslighting. You, it has nothing to do with these cases. It, first of all, it's based on PCR tests, which is known to be fifty percent or more false positive. So. It's just a fraud, okay? They're paying people to test PCR tests around the clock, possibly $7 a test. So we're all just paying, paying, paying. To bump up the numbers. To, to tell people that aren't sick that they're sick and go home and wait even though they're not sick. Um, it's called gaslighting because it doesn't make sense. And when you look into it, it just breaks your brain because it doesn't make sense. And that's the strategy of propaganda that they're using. Um, it, it's just, if you want to understand it, Kibono, who's benefiting? Who is the one showing his face the most? Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a Rockefeller cousin. He's a cousin of David Rockefeller. David Rockefeller runs the United Nations, the World Health Organizations, using Standard Oil's money. He owns most of the world's oil. He wants to have a one-world government and has paid billions of dollars to think tank it. So you could read their plan. Operation Lockstep, how they're going to introduce a virus. Tell the world you can't move. The floor is lava until you track and trace and take five vaccines a year. And then you, all your money's linked to a fucking card that has your vaccine records, your bank records, and you're not allowed to go to a grocery store or leave your house unless you participate in their new world order. And, and Mark of the all, Beast type shit, you know? That all sounds super spooky and speculative. We don't know if it's really going to happen. But it is a possible it is future. Because it's only them who believe that they're going to walk us down that line. So it's totally speculative. Right. It's not, it's not a fact that's going to happen. But it's a possibility. And we have to observe it and not just be like, oh, no, that's conspiracy theory. I don't want to hear about it. Leave me alone. No, let's look at this possibility so that we don't go down that road. He killed. I think it's important to keep on talking and not uh, like become fighting each other. It's like, I'm wrong, I'm right. But David Rockefeller literally killed the electric car. He's literally the guy who called back all the EV1s, paid for all the EV1s to be called back and crushed. And then the Hummer was released. Okay? Yeah. That's the man you're supporting here. And he's going to literally tell you that not him personally, but the people he pays, that climate change is so motherfucking real that there's only one person that can save you from it, and it's him. Well, who I, owns I, the world's oil. I do believe in climate change. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm, I'm saying that the world has pollution, correct? That's pollution, right? Yeah, yeah, who's I mean, the last person that should save it from pollution? David well, the, Rockefeller. The ones who created yeah, it. Yeah, David Rockefeller and his oil business well, is the last person to save us from pollution. I don't trust him to be our savior for climate change, but I do believe there's issues in the planet we have to face. And it's I, I, so I, I, interesting the time we live because we have to come together as a globe or flat plane, whichever you want to fucking say, <laughs> and make a government. Okay, so we'll call it the planet government. Uh, and we come together and we find things collectively. But the problem is, is that an evil man has set up the exact thing that you think you want, which is a world government. But his is unelected. His is communistic in nature, where you get no jobs and you fucking robots take over and you 95% of you die. He literally set up that because that's exactly what we're going to ask for when uh, faced with global pollution and global pandemics and ai and 5g but this thing is like 5g and ai and all these things don't necessarily have to be negative and evil it's just that they're being run by people yeah. that are have bad ethics because and the 5g could technically be free energy yeah yeah it's a modular electromagnetic device where they could change the frequency so therefore they could technically make it they can make you super healthy they can make it ring super healthy and everyone's super healthy. Or they can make it ring and you all hear Burger King ads in your head. Totally. And that's well, it. We hope, will decide. Let's hope for the best. Let's keep on vibrating positivity and attracting the positive future towards us. Let's keep on just putting more positive content like this show, like your art, like music, like everything. So that the vibrations of goodness will keep on taking over the world. We keep on awakening and negative situations like that could never happen. Mm -hmm. um, Remember to, to, to not fall victim to fear, um, hatred, division. And always remember that love is always more powerful. So whenever you feel like someone has a different opinion than you, abstain from, uh, from hatred and fear mm -hmm. of that person. You don't and have really, to agree with them. You don't have to agree. That's the beauty of freedom of free, uh, of free speech. So find the love in your heart to 
have a conversation. Yeah. No <laughs> matter what. Even people do... that disagree with me. I love you. And uh, I'm sure you have your reasons. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm not talk. divisive about it. And then let's be open-minded and, and change our minds if we learn new information, you know. And I'm not pointing fingers, but uh, hatred and division is not going to solve this. So if you think of anyone, I'm not going to name names, but if there's anyone who's being hatred and, div and divisive, that is not the way to the future. That is not the revolution. The revolution is one of love. Right. Right on, man. Is there any final words of wisdom you'd like to give to young artists or just people in general who might be watching the show? Faith is very important in religion, in business, and in art. Uh, make sure you have a delusion of grandeur. Make sure you hold it close to your heart. Don't tell too many people that are going to poo-poo it. Because the more people that you tell that don't believe in it, the more doubts that will enter your mind. So really tell people that you hold sacred, that will build you up and will believe in your delusion of grandeur and fantasy and watch it come true yeah thank you so much germ it was an amazing talk Love you, bro. that was a great episode and thank you everybody who tuned in we'll see you next week blessings Woo! next week my guest will be labrona Paint a train in Montreal and then they can go like to Alaska, it can go to Mexico. Right. Like I think even they I think they can even go down into Central America. So you paint something and then someone in like California takes a picture of it and they send it to you and you're like, holy shit. Like so like, your art just goes everywhere. That's so cool. That's like the coolest part. All different interactions between the characters within the paintings. Like some of them have like the hands blocking their mouths and then some people are checking each other out. Like someone that's stuck over here can't get over there to like the woman he loves over here. Oh, okay. you know, like just little. Uh, yeah, this just uh, interplays of energies between people. Yeah, in trying our to world. tell lots of little, a whole bunch of little stories all within the same painting. Mm -hmm. So make sure to subscribe, like, and everything else. Big thanks, and see you next week. Peace.